Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. And before we get into it, I'm going to apologise to everyone this morning because I have never experienced Aaron in a worse mood, even after dropping huge fish going out in the boat for hours not catching anything this is the worst mood i've ever seen him in good morning redmond well there's two reasons why it's because i've got a sore shoulder that's bad and i'm dealing with you so that's the two reasons that i'm uh, a little bit grumpy today but that's all right we're here to talk about fishing and the great outdoors and patrick and we don't want to talk about it too much but the whole pretty much the whole country is are experiencing a very harsh lockdown. So you and I have got a bit of work to do to put a bit of work together. Well, we have a bit of work to do to inspire everyone that there's some <laughs> wonderful things happening right around the country at the moment besides just the lockdown that everyone keeps talking about. So I said to you pre-meeting for the show, I didn't want you to talk about it. You've led with we're in lockdown. Can we just take ourselves away from it for five minutes, Aaron? Well, we've got 40-odd minutes of the show, Pat, so let's, <laughs> let's not mention it again other, other than one or two more times. Hey, Redman, there's some exciting news around the country. Now, Haynes Hunter, one of the most iconic fiberglass boating manufacturers in the country, uh, has released their new 760 Enclosed. Now, this model is based on their very popular 760R, which is their soft top model. Now, this is the full hard top setup. You know, Davey Marine uh, have taken the first order, and a lot of this has come off the back of customer feedback in its design. They're running twin 250s, uh, beautiful white Yamahas on the back of it. It is an enormous boat, and Davey Marine have said this stems from customer feedback that trailer boats are going further and further offshore, are driving around the country, COVID permitting, and... We need to be able to have. We need to, to have a vessel that we can take anywhere. Now I know you've seen uh, a few photos of it. It looks very similar to the the 760R, the soft top version. I know you've spent a bit of time with Lee Rayner, who's got a wonderful uh, 670. Um, what what do you make of it? This is going to be, you know, very much is going to start in the 200s, I dare say. Uh, and then push up from there, depending on the electronics package, the outboard package. Uh, most of these, you know, maxi trailable game boats now, Redmond, they're offering, you know, joystick control, which sometimes, you know, you're looking at 20 to 30 grand extra just for your steering package. Good move, bold move. Where do you see it? 
I think it's a great move. I think it's a good-looking boat. Uh, the, I wouldn't even consider the soft top, to tell you the honest truth. That now goes out of the market for me, as you know how much I love the hard tops. But uh, it's it's on that borderline of being – it's a big boat. 760 is that big boat, and that's going to – similar to yours, Pat, your your North Bank is 750. It's, got, it's, on that, it's on that verge of like – how do I trailer this? It's going to like, where, where can, what do a card vehicle do I need to pull this around the country? So it's going to be interesting. The weight, I haven't seen the overall weight of it yet. You might have, but it's going to be heavy. Uh, so, well, 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 I think we can assume that this is going to start in the, the mid threes at the yep. moment. The, the base package uh, at Davy Marine is 256. Now, as tested, this boat is, I think it's about 330. And sits just under four ton on trailer. Now you can buy uh, an ex Riviera sort of thirty five that's maybe fifteen years old for a similar price. It's a huge amount of money. It's well over a quarter of a million dollars for a trailer boat. But people continue to purchase them, and that's the whole reason that that Davy Marina really challenged Hainsana to to add this to their range. Interest rates are interesting at the moment. Yeah, yeah, they are. And Davy Marine, um, Adam Davy over there, he, he, he's got a magnificent uh, business, fantastic uh, workshop, great. He, he's right on the ball there with his clientele. He listens to what they have to say, and he does a really, really, really good job. So well done to the Haynes Hunter crew for actually getting listening to – I think that's the biggest thing in getting a good boat. It's actually not just making a boat. It's listening to what people like myself and yourself, Pat, have to say and putting it all together and actually making the ultimate package and – it's probably on the bit for me. It's that bit big, too bit big for me. That seven sixty. I do a lot of towing, so in all honesty, for me, it's that bit big. But for someone like you, Paddy, who has to have everything big, it's probably the ultimate <laughs> boat, like the seven fifty hardtop. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely going to select market. But I'm tipping that they're definitely going to sell. They're going to sell a few of them. And like I said, Davy Davy Marine does a fantastic job. So if you are uh, wanting to drop in there, I'm sure COVID permitting that he'll uh, he'll arrange for you guys to be able to either go for a test run or whatever he's doing down there. He'll 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 make it happen. Redman, one of the things if you're going to purchase a boat this big, and, and we've spoken about it at length on the show before, is that you have to have a vehicle that's matched to be able to tow it. Now, besides uh, purchasing a truck within the market at the moment, Rams obviously released their new 1500. Um, the only problem is with that Redmond, you're looking at 17 litres per 100Ks where the market seems to be going towards more fuel-efficient vehicles. This thing, powered by a wonderful Hemi engine, 17.5 litres per 100Ks isn't exactly fuel-efficient, Redmond. Yeah, well, we might just uh, cut this segment because uh, I, uh, I I want a ram and I don't want cars to do this. <laughs> Okay, so get this edited out. Uh, I do want a Ram. That's the, that's my ultimate car is the Ram, and I've got to buy a new house. And the missus said she doesn't care what I do for that. So, uh, so we'll cut that little bit out with the 17 liters an hour because they're they're a beast of a car. I, I love them. I, I I don't think they're practical in any way other than towing. They can't park them. You can't do nothing with them. But I don't think there's a much. I don't think there's a much better car as in for the old. Uh, uh, imp- impressing people down the street sort of thing. And you can't park them anywhere. You can't do nothing. But like you said before, if you own a 760 hardtop uh, Haynes Hunter, you're going to need it. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to need it just because I'm going to need it. But it's uh, it's it's one of those – like the trailer boats these days, look at what we're doing. Like 
I traveled to Polo Bay, 88 kilometers offshore, and I'm doing it in a six meter boat. And that hardtop we just spoke about is going to be 50 times comfier than that. It just is. It's a bigger boat. It's just how it works. Yeah. And you got Eden in New South Wales, and you and I headed to Cairns, and we did that whole coast up there in a 750 hardtop. And a lot of people, we I know we trucked them up there, but a lot of people will be traveling up there. But with a Ram using 17, I think you said 17 liters per hundred. Well, uh, but it, it's it, it's, it's not going to for courses compared to you know anything else for the type of market it, it is going to be similar if say you're you're purchasing a truck now I know yep. Ram claims sort of that twelve and a half um, average but once you start to tow things it, it, every review that I've read and I've read a few on on boat sales a cracking uh, article that they did and they were around that seventeen and a half liter now you're looking at one twenty odd but in terms of thousand. But Redmond, it's the only thing that'll tow four and a half tons. And if you buy a Land Cruiser, you've got to get a tow pack. You've got to spend more um, and get it upgraded. And if you're buying a Land Cruiser now, you can't get anything less. I think they're a quarter of a million dollars now for a Toyota Land Cruiser. They're the world's most expensive second-hand car. Um, <laughs> same with, with Ranger Hilux. You're looking at the three and a half ton towing. And what that doesn't – and what people sometimes forget is that if you purchase that Redmond – that three and a half, as soon as you step foot in it, your 70 kilos comes off it. So you're now 3.4. I step in it, there's 150 kilos comes off it. And then all of a sudden, it, it eats into how much you're actually able to tow with these vehicles. So we, we just don't have a massive market compared to the US um, where it's really competitive with obviously the Ford 150s and Raptors and those sorts of things. We don't have that competition just yet which is what will eventually drive prices down um that's i dare say enough for fishing and outdoor news though redmond let's have a little bit of a look around the country there's been some really good um well there's been some good captures but it just hasn't been quite everywhere because we haven't been able to get off and fish well, usually I have a pretty in-depth uh, report on my week in fishing and uh, the amount of rain we've had, I reckon if I cast it out of my boat in the driveway, I'd probably catch something because we've had so much rain and so much weather. But unfortunately, I haven't been out as much as I would have liked. I got out on the Thursday into my restrictions, a couple of hours, and I was only off. Like the ramp's three-odd k's from me, then coming back towards my house, I can get nearly 4k offshore so i was managed to get a couple of nice gummies which is really good i actually got a few whiting on the way back in as well in close in the, in the ocean there uh around the country we've got those yellowfin and i've got a i've got a guy that i follow on social media on instagram his name's his name's um jake brisbane and i'm actually going to get him on in a few weeks to take us through this yellowfin tuna bite specifically because he is out there like I said to his last week, I don't think he works. Uh, he works on a commercial, <laughs> but he catches more yellowfin on that boat and everywhere he goes. So I, I'm going to try and get him on in the next few weeks just to hear a fisherman sort of story. He works on a commercial boat. He's out there chasing these fish. It'll be a great chat with him. And uh, he, he, he's going to go into depth of why he thinks, or hopefully I'm going to ask him to, why he thinks uh, these yellowfin are hanging around for so long between that 40 to 80 kilo. And they're getting them on top water, lure, and they just keep biting. So, I'm going to really try and get him on to cover that for you, for everyone in the country, but more specifically the New South Wales guys who can actually get an understanding of it. If we head over to the West Redmond um, Broome at the moment, probably one of the few places where you can just go about your daily lives the West, but Broome, there's some great um, videos doing the rounds on socials at the moment of, of fantastic whale activity, but some huge Spanish mackerel. I know um, chatting with 
with Carl Lendon last week. He was up there and catching fish that were well over one and a half metres long. We were talking about it. Um, one of the great fish to catch, to capture, but also a great eating fish. Yeah, I know you love eating them. We, uh, we got a few when we were up north and you made me clean all these fisheries for you to eat because how much you love the Spanish mackerel. But it's they're a great fish to catch. They're... they're they're energetic, they're fun, they jump, you take the lures off and they do even so, all sorts of things. And I know Al McGlashan fishing with a good friend of the show, Bomber Farrell, out of Groot Island, well, a couple of years maybe now, not even, and they've got, they literally took the lures or other hooks off the lures and they're literally having Spanish mackerel jump 10 metres out of the bloody water at times, like literally launching <laughs> themselves out of the water and just phenomenal fish to catch. You do need to run wire because they do have that super sharp teeth, so you've got to be pretty smart about how you crimp your wire and you, there's, there's certain knots you can do the wire twist knot if you want to run them on deep divers so it's the one there are one fish that i've only ever caught uh, a handful of them and i do want to land a big one so it's, it's definitely on my to-do list and i know you pulled me away from new south wales i'm just going to throw just one more thing in there uh the mako shark fishery out of the new south wales coast the whole continental shelf that 120 meter mark give or take is that rough area where we want to start looking for those makos. So that's just on the inside of the continental shelf. That is the area where we tend to target our striped marlin, that 120 to 180. Now, when you're targeting makos, I just wanted to – this is the time of the year they get those real big ones and big numbers. Uh, when you target them, you need to be smart. You can't just rock up anywhere and hope to God that you're just going to catch a mako. Now – the numbers do get to the stage where you could nearly do that, but if you want to get consistency and not waste your money and time getting out that far and putting all this burly in the water, set your drift up properly. We want to make sure that we're covering depths. We don't want to be drifting along that same contour line. We don't want to hit that 120 and just drift with it. So sometimes you cannot help it physically because the current's pushing that way, but quite often we have a little bit of breeze where we can turn the steering wheel to the side, get our angle of the boat. We want to drift side on, and that will naturally create a, a, a depth change. So you might, but another way to do it, if you are drifting the same way, is pick a part of the continental shelf that actually kinks or moves. That way you might go from 120 to 130 to 140, then back to 120. At least you're covering depths. The Makos travel parallel to the shore. They always follow along the continental shelf. They follow their depths, and you want to have your burly so a Mako hits that burly trail, intercepts it, and makes their way to your boat. Now, the fish are big. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do if you get a 250-kilo one, which is, <laughs> which is well, in, like I'm not making that up, and bigger, 300-plus at times. So if you do want to try and catch one of them and kill one of them, you want to use a flying gaff. That's really, really important. And even for the smaller ones, using a flying gaff can literally save – You'll like save your boat and the scratches down the side because they go off their head, those makos. Talk to me about when it comes to the size of these sharks and being mindful of the bigger you go, the greater the mercury concentration and what that does to the edibility of these fish, it destroys them essentially. It does. And the, the, the main the way to stop to reduce the mercury is by actually freezing the mercury in itself. So that's the bet. If you do get a big shark. So you fill it the shark? Uh, so let's just – just an example. So we'll go back just to a standard gummy shark. Naturally, over the years, coming back from when I was a kid with my old man, we used to always freeze gummy shark all the time because the mercury tastes bad and it's bad for you. 
Well, I've never noticed the mercury taste all being bad for you in the smaller gummy sharks. I just, I, and I've spoke to people, numerous people about it. They don't carry that sort of mercury content. A small mako probably doesn't either. But when you start to get to that 60 kilo, 80 kilo, even bigger, that's when the mercury starts to actually, there's more mercury in the fish and it builds up and gets more and more. So when you do get a big fish, for instance, say you kill and uh, you, you kill the 150 kilo, you bleed it on the day, you, t- you gut it, you do all the right things, you get in, make sure that you do fill it up and freeze it. I wouldn't be, no, not a big fish, I wouldn't be eating it fresh. I'd be freezing it to make sure you actually reduce the mercury in that fish because mercury is not very, very good for us at all to eat. So <laughs> be mindful of that. <laughs> you might turn out to look like Superman or something. Redmond, uh, heading south, South Australia at the moment. There's been some really good uh, reports, albeit spasmodically at times, of tuna. There's been some really nice Australian salmon caught along the beaches. Um, we heard uh, head towards the port. Once again, in those shallow waters, there's reports of good captures, but but spasmodic at times. What are you hearing? Yeah, the guys in the kayaks are probably having the best success. They're getting in nice and shallow, and they're fishing sort of around that York Peninsula. That York Peninsula is fishing very, very well. Uh, once again, don't get carried away with the colour of your squid jig. Uh, you know me, it's my most hated question, hated question in fishing is what colour squid jig you use. Can't stand that question. It's about the fall of the squid jig. It's about, so if you're fishing in two metres of water in a kayak, you got to make sure the jig's not hitting the ground fast. You want to make sure it's having a nice sink rate through the water column and falling so that squid has its best chance of grabbing it as it, you want it falling longer, you want it falling nicely longer through that water column than you do racing to the bottom or not sinking at all. And if you follow real action fishing charters also, Pat, um, out of Marion Bay, they're having a phenomenal season on the offshore fishery. Like they're landing some seriously good fish. Blue Morwong, they're an amazing fish to catch and eat. Like you reckon snapper pull hard? Well, in my belief, they pull harder and they taste better. They're a cleaner fish. Fantastic fish to uh, to target. You've also got the Nanagai, which in my opinion, they're up there with one of the best eating fish to eat too. Nanagai burgers, we've spoke about them on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Bloody terrific. And the sharks, the school sharks and the gummy sharks, they're, they're coming over the side every single trip pretty much. So the guys at Real Action Fishing Charters, I personally don't know who they are, but I'm going to give them a shout-out because they've done such a tremendous job working through this uh, crap period. And I'm really hoping that uh, the fishing keeps going for those guys because they're really working hard and catching some awesome fish. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning, so stick around. Plenty more on the other side of this break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Before we get into the social club, you shot your mouth off for too long in Seg 1, Redmond. So the Perth Metro fishing at the moment, it's fishing really, really well. It is. I just wanted to uh, throw this in this sort of part of the show because that everyone in their life wants to have got their sort of book of fish they want to catch. and your bucket list. You've got your meter flathead. You've got your hundred kilo bluefin. You've got your thousand pound black marlin and kilo white. And the list goes on. And one of the big ones here in Victoria, South Australia, well, not really South Australia because they they don't get them anymore, but they used to, and they used to be bloody big. But it's that ten kilo snapper. And Perth gets a magnificent big fish. But a guy during the week fishing in eleven meters out of the waters of Perth Metro, 
that you landed one 10 kilo, 11 meters of water, it went 90 odd centimeters, just over 10 kilo. That is a cracking fish. And what I want to, the reason I say this is he was in a boat fishing in 11 meters, but we know what WA can be like and it can really blow up with wind and it can last a period of time. Now, if you're land-based fishing for these fish, no matter where you are for snapper in the country, they love wind. So for instance, just to give you an example, Port Phillip Bay, we get a big westerly wind. We know that over at the Mornington Pier is going to fish well. Big northerly wind, St. Leonard's, anywhere where you can get that rough water in the shallows is going to work. And it's the same principle everywhere you fish. So let's head to WA. You get that big onshore breeze that comes in. Those fish will push in and feed. So don't think because you're a land-based fisher in WA that you haven't got a chance of landing a 10-kilo snapper. You have every chance. And now's a terrific time to pick your weather pattern and actually head there and target these fish because it's it, the 90 centimeter fish, 10 kilo. That there is the magic number uh, to uh, to to get when chasing those big big snapper. You spoke about them not being in South Australia. Well, they they, they are in South Australia. The, the, <laughs> the, we obviously know the reason we can't fish for them is because of the the regulation changes. That there is no fishing recreationally for snapper in South Australia because of how how much they've been hammered by both well more commercial fishermen but recreational fishermen as well now that ban currently as it stands now this is subject to change depending on um the scientific data that they receive is 2023 so that's not a huge amount of time redmond like we're looking at you know 18 months and that fishery will hopefully be back which hopefully will bring with it real a real stimulus for the economy, which, you know, all these local towns right around the country that, that, that certainly in South Australia have been hammered because of COVID. It was a double whammy hit because of the tourism that snapper fishing brings in. So all of a sudden, hopefully this little three-year window, which is, you know, without a doubt, it will have felt in far, far longer um, for those that it's directly affected. But it should really stimulate, and hopefully it means we've got we've got great fishing. Um, you know, once that fingers crossed, band is overturned, and and there's a window for recreational fishing. Let's get 2023. We'll probably still be in bloody lockdown by then too. The way we're going. <laughs> uh, we'd love to get political today, wouldn't we? Um, Let's get to the social club. We take your questions from social media. We're giving away real brand gear every single week for the best questions. Gav has the first one. Hi, boys. I'm upgrading my electronics on my boat, and I'm worried, wondering rather about radar and whether it's worth it. You've got a pretty sharp answer for this, Redmond, particularly for those that if you're just new to fishing or you've, you know, you're updating your boat, you've got a big one for the first time, whether you spend your money on a radar. Yeah, don't do it. The jetty at Barwon Heads if you're going through. Oh, no. Let's talk about the important things. It's uh, the radar has its purpose and they do, they, they do a great job. They really do. They can, they, foggy or rain or through the night they do have their purpose but are you getting attacked by <laughs> by a nuclear submarine those sorts of things but other yeah, than that yeah, i don't know i'm not a i'm not a massive radar person and i i think it's more of a they're more like the 
times that I reckon I, I would have, if I would have used it, would be it wouldn't be like actually for safety purposes. It probably wouldn't even be once a year, but if that's going to save your life that once a year, then maybe yeah, get it. But they're a lot of money. They they can be upwards of three grand at times. Uh, there is a, the one that I would get if I was going to get it is it's a, it's a, a Garmin do like a, a bird range one. They actually pick up all your birds in the area. Now I think that goes that's, up. To- that's the most important one, really. That's exactly my theory. Is if I can't get under the bridge, I need to be able to find those birds. So 20 kilometres uh, is actually uh, a fair fair range they give you at times. Like it's a long, long way. So I don't know. Is it worth the money? I'm going to go with I'd ha- I would have one if it was worth the money, and I don't. So that's my answer. What's your thoughts on it? Because I know you like every single gadget that possibly is on a boat. Jeez, they look good on top of the hardtop. Did you ever use yours on your old 650 hardtop? Did you ever use it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, just, I just don't see the massive value in it. I just, I don't know. Like I said, they do have their purpose, but I'm not a ship that's coming through the middle of the ocean at night. So it's, I don't know. For me, it's a no, but if you've got extra money, three grand or plus, and go ahead and try and get under the Bowen River. <laughs> I, like, I like this one. Uh, this is from Pete. Boys, my aluminium boat, seems to be impossible to keep clean these little dots keep appearing and it looks like corrosion please tell me it's not the boat is 12 months old i'm just gonna let i'm just gonna leave that to you because you've had your fair share of dramas with this no i i haven't it's not it's not corrosion but aaron you've dealt with this with the stabby 2100 that you have now i've got a uh stabycraft 1550 fisher and I certainly get that that salt wear on the exposed aluminium. You don't get it on the, the painted aluminium, but you do get it on the raw aluminium finish. Yeah. You can get rid of it, Redmond, but is it really worth it? it? It's It doesn't detract from any performance unless you don't like the look of it. Yeah, the, you get this. What's the, Now, you'll probably know the exact name for it. I used to know the name for it. Like a green scourer, like a scrubber, like the green one uh, you get from – the Safeway. So just go to look for a green one. Is that a good example? (laughs) (laughs) What are they called? You know, it's a, that was, anyway, it was a scourer. It had wire in it and it was a light scrub of the actual corrosion in itself. Well, the the white spots, we'll call it. That was the only way that I could get it to bring back to looking decent. It was the only way. Now it's, it's hard work doing it. You're literally scrubbing and scrubbing like for a long period of time. I did it because the boat was meant to look brand new, I guess, because everyone was looking at it and whatnot. That was probably the main reason. I know you've got it. At, sorry, so if I, if I was to get an aluminium boat, I would get it painted, what you mentioned before, as much as I possibly can because it does not, like you said, it doesn't stick to the paint. So any aluminium boat you get that has raw aluminium is going to get salt marks on it. So paint as much as possible. I know your 1550 has got a lot on it. Have you had a crack at using the green stuff, we'll call it, and actually bringing it back? <laughs> No, nah, because I didn't. I didn't like the idea of scratching the surface of yeah. the boat. And once you start, like, when does it stop? It doesn't stop it from the very beginning, or at least for as long as you can stand. You have to dry the boat with a towel after you've been out there. You've cleaned it down because it's it's those drying marks. So it's really one of those things. It's it's one of those idiosyncrasies you have to live if you're going to buy a bottom in your boat. So, Pete, unfortunately, just learn to live with it because 
it takes too much time and let's be honest we're not all going to and i'll have all the time in the world in order to sort of look after those sorts of things now redmond our winner for this week is serge abdullah now i'm going to paraphrase this question so serge you've won yourself some real brand gear so send us a direct message and we'll send it out to you but the, the message is rather long it's just sort of lord of the Rings sort of action but paraphrasing Serge has got himself a new Ocean Master 5.4, hull only, uh, and he's going to set it up himself. He's, he's pretty handy. He's going to do the wiring himself. He's looking at a 135 four-stroke. Uh, but his question centres around the electronic setup, Redmond. He's got sort of room for twin seven-inch units. Um, he'd prefer two units, similar to yourself, Aaron, um, and he's wondering what sort of unit he should use he was leaning towards simrad because it does connect with mercury he's not sure whether garmin does the same thing he's seen some feedback online um that has suggested that simrad has some issues i can stop you there search any unit at different stages may have their units whether it's garmin um Furuno, uh you name it so most of the top brands they'll be great but they'll be little issues that arise what recommendations would you give to serge redmond first of all the two screens i think is a must in uh even with just seven inch screens redmond like you yeah, do you just go one big one or 100 no, you can two screens i was i've been on a lot of boats and one screen just for instance if i mark up a barrel on one screen you're you're pausing the screen and you're going back and you're just going like trying to do different things like Two screens you can do your sounder and your chart. You've got two options that are just simple and clean. So you don't like the idea of having the split screen. It's still just too too difficult to work between the two. Oh, it's not as too difficult. It's just nowhere near as convenient. So if you can afford to get the other, if you would sell for me a single twelve inch screen or two seven inches, I know that I'd take the two seven inches. Now in my yeah. boat, I I could fit a, I think I could fit up to twelve, maybe even a sixteen. And I chose to go two tens in mine. I think it was sixteen I could fit in mine, and I went two ten inches because it's just practical. There's just two screens there. You can do what you want to do on the GPS. You can do what you want to do on the sounder, and you're not going back through pages. And like I said, this sounds picky and whatnot, but when you do this every day, like myself and Serge might do it, a lot of it too, is it, it just makes your life that much easier and more convenient. And for the for the Garmin side of it, I've obviously used Garmin. And I love my units. I can't. I think Garmin have come a long way from where they were in the in the chart porter units. And from my experience with them, they've got everything. Like lives, they've got all different transducers that he wants. They've got live scope, structure scan, side scan. You've got all different transducers to match the fishing that you do. So for me, I'd have to recommend Garmin uh, because I use them. Um, I like them. I can't fault them, but also I don't think you're going to be. As, I don't think you're going to be disappointed if you do go Simrad either. They're they're a great unit. They do the job really really well. But for me, I've got my head around Garmin at the minute. Really good. I know the ins and outs of it. And once you do learn that unit, that's when you will probably favour something. So if you speak to someone that only uses Furuno, I can guarantee you that Furuno is the best unit. If you speak to someone that uses just a specific brand in anything in life, that's the brand that they're always going to recommend and that's better than any other brand. So it's up to you on what you want to have a crack at. Beautiful work, Redman. That wraps up our social club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures socials 
or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. It's free to download from wherever you're downloading your apps. Gearing up for Dometic. Always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventure takes you with Dometic's rugged drinkware. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Now, our next or our special guest for the show this morning, Redmond, is Nick Dogan from Hookline and Sinker. But we may be introducing him as Australia's next Prime Minister once he changes a few of the regulations around fishing and, uh, and gets us fishing right around the country. Morning, Nick. Thanks for joining us this morning. Danger, Red. Great to be with you guys. Hope you're bearing up all right under the current circumstances. Uh, might be time to think about moving to Tasmania for you, blokes. Now, if you take charge, then I reckon I'll, uh, I might actually come over there and uh, spend some time because there's not much to do over here. No. No, there's um, no. we're all going well down here, but uh, not wishing to rub any of that in. Um, <laughs> just hope everyone's going okay. Now, Nick, there's, there's been a big change with you because you have gone into politics now, and I've seen this with the footy industry. You have those <laughs> that cover the game as special comments experts, and then all of a sudden they're sitting on club boards and they can't <laughs> necessarily always call it as they see it. How much is this going to affect the tomfoolery that sometimes happens <laughs> with uh, the show that we, we all love, Hook, Line and Sinker, because there's a fair bit of piss-taking that happens, let's be honest. Does your there, new position change? There is nobody, I suspect, better equipped to speak on this issue than yourself as, uh, what are you, president of the <laughs> AFL Players Association, which is a far more high-profile role than uh, mine. <laughs> as the, uh, the newly elected me- member for Windermere down here in Tassie. Um, <laughs> will, it change, will I become a, uh, an automaton and a political weasel words man? Look, hopefully not, mate. Hopefully not. I think, um, I think probably the reason I was fortunate enough to be elected was that uh, people would hope that I would continue to speak my mind and, you know, uh, keep having a crack and protecting the Tasmanian way of life and our culture and the reason that people, uh, you know, like to live here and stuff. So, you know, I don't know. I might have to stop saying bad things about Kiwi backpackers and stuff like that. But otherwise, I think it will be business as usual. Just into, uh, into Parliament wearing waders. That would be, be a wonderful <laughs> picture for us all to see. Now, this year is 21 years of hook, line and sinker. And over the years... You've provided plenty of light entertainment for us all, whether it be catching wonderful fish, restoring boats. I have to mention the fact that the boat dropped off the trailer before it got in the water. Like, I think it's something yep. that we can all um, we can all relate to, and I think that's what makes the show so popular because it's it's not trying to be perfect. It's an example of what many of us experience every time we go out and go fishing. What have you learnt? along the journey because it's been a there's been a huge amount that's changed within the industry over the last few decades yeah look i think you touched on it there mate you know we i think you know halfway through episode one back in uh the year 2000 just after the sydney olympics wrapped up learned that if we were going to talk about our fishing expertise we had uh half an hour in us you know we um tied three 
helping you and we've given our advice on how to put a, a bait on a hook and, and after that, you know, the well runs dry. So our show pretty quickly became um, that show about mates going fishing um, and I know when whenever I go fishing with my mates, it descends into, uh, you know, into comedy, it descends into a competition, it descends into a whole lot of, um, you know, taking the piss basically. Uh, and we found that that was what worked for us, you know. Um, over the 21 years, I'm sure as you can imagine, there have been um, a lot of fishing shows um, that have either come and gone or still with us or whatever else. Um, and just that, um, and we used to worry about that and think, oh, you know, nobody's going to watch our show because um, they'll be watching people going fishing properly. And look, you know, there's absolutely a market for the hardcore, really um, top-end fishing stuff, no doubt about that. But there's also um, a market for people who just want to see uh, um, fishing taken off the pedestal and, you know, kind of given back to the people who like doing it. You know, it, it's not meant to be that serious i don't think and and most often when people go yeah they want to catch a fish but if they don't it's um you know it's not the end of the world and that's kind of the space that we occupy um we love our boating but as you say mistakes can happen particularly when andrew hart's around you know, check the <laughs> when you leave the detail party he's not big on that he's, a, he's an ideas <laughs> man uh, so you know we thought about when that when we dropped the tra- well, the boat off the trailer it was at early no, where was it? It was at Harvey Bay. And um, and we thought, oh, God, we've got to try and cover this up. And in, in about literally three minutes, it was up on Facebook. So that opportunity had gone. And, you know, by the time we got it on the trailer, we had 180 people there. Well, it was a great, it was a great advertisement for the wonderfully tough and indestructible bar crashes. I mean, what, <laughs> well, what more do they that. want as a company? There is that. Um, you know, they built them tough. The boat, you know, just shrugged it off. It was remarkable. <laughs> Before we get into the boat, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you about your boat, actually, in a minute, Patrick yeah. and I. And, uh, you ventured out during the week with Stuart Nichols' personalised sea charters, and you mentioned yep. 21 years of hook, line and sinker before, and 21 years ago, you actually ventured out with Stuart, uh, who you went out with during the week, and you actually managed to land a fish of a lifetime, and it was 140-plus uh, southern bluefin tuna fishing out of Tasmania, Take us through that whole trip, and uh, you, you thought by the end of the day that you were going to be nearly donuts. So take us through that as well. Red, I'm very pleased you brought that up because it's not often that I get the <laughs> opportunity to uh, to gloat about my fish my fishing um, expertise. Normally, it's people telling me what a terrible fisherman I am. But um, now, yesterday, so in this whole, um, you know, a bit of a change of career for me and. 21 years and Hardy and I getting a bit nostalgic. We thought it'd be a great idea to um, to get Stewie Nichols on, who's probably familiar to both of you. He's He's been there the is. go-to man at Eagle Hawk Neck for more than 20 years. And he was he used to be a bank manager. He used to be quite a plump guy, actually. But um, anyway, so he threw all that in to, uh, to pursue his dream of being a charter skipper down there at Eagle Hawk Neck. And sort of he started about the same time we started. So I think in episode one, we went out with Stewie down off the neck and, you know, uh, all pretty new to us then. And you didn't used to catch tuna like we do now then. You know, that it was still a pretty rare thing to catch a southern bluefin tuna, even off the bottom of Tassie back then. You know, you'd go down there and catch cooter and 
and maybe a cray in a cray pot and that sort of stuff. But anyway, so we went out with Stewie yesterday and it was a sort of, you know, a pretty grubby day, probably blowing 25 knots of westerly. Uh, but Eagle Hawk Neck, obviously, with the big sea cliffs and stuff, you can fish that okay. Um, and we drove around thinking, you know, we've become pretty blase about catching tuna down there, but um, thinking, oh, you know, we'll go down there and catch a few fish and we'll talk about some of the old things we did and when we used to catch tuna on dog hair lures and stuff like that. Um, anyway, sort of 11 o'clock came and went. We hadn't caught anything. And then 12 o'clock we hooked one up, which Julie got eaten by the seals, you know, a school fish, a 20-kilo fish, and just didn't really get a wine on it before the seals got to it. Um and then, you know, the day's going on. It's after one o'clock. We'd eaten our roll. And, you know, I think we were going to pull the lines in at two. And then at about 1.30, one of the rods went off. And it's sort of where it went off was in a big clump of seals. And we think, oh, God, has this thing been eaten as well? Because um, it, it was a pretty startling first run on, um, on 1.30, if you don't mind. Um, you know, you run big, heavy gear in order to get the big fish in, you know, to give you some chance to wind it past the seals. So uh, it had uh, 60 kilo on the top. And um, anyway, so it went down and it went down and I picked up the rod. I thought, oh, is this a seal? Is this a seal? And then, and then it sort of started to go deep and I could feel a few tail baits. And at that point, I, um, I was reasonably convinced that it was a good fish. You never know how good they are. You know, you never know how good. Or maybe you, Blake's do, you geniuses. No, but, I definitely uh, don't. No. no, you know, you know it feels, this feels big. You know, I'm on, you know, big gear and this feels like a good fish. Um, That's just so because you're anyway. trying to hold 130 wide up, which weighs about 400 kilo in itself. Yeah, well, it was actually, it was, I, I think it was on, on an 80 anyway. Um, but um, just the top shot was 130. But uh, anyway, finally winding, pumping this thing up, pumping, and I go pretty hard. I knock them over, as you as you blokes would know. I, you know, I, I go, built the way that you are. You well, that's right. With the mountain with of the a man. arms, danger with the big muppet <laughs> arms, and you just put the herd on. Uh, anyway, <laughs> managed to get a few wines on it, and it's coming up, coming up, and then the seals got involved, um, and pretty much once that happens once the seals get involved the fish gets very stressed uh, and i guess gets injured and you know potentially starts to bleed a bit and you usually will knock them over pretty quickly after that and we we didn't really know and then we got to look at it with an oh yep it's big fish you know it's a barrel no doubt and then we got a good look at it um and it was a really big fish um uh, and then managed to get a boat side and get uh three gaffs into it um, with a seal on the tail, uh, it is just. I don't know whether you guys have ever fished in that environment with a, with those seals, and I'm going on about the seals because they're pretty intense down there. But anyway, um, and three of us with the gaff in it and trying to get it over the gunnel of the boat. And at that point, we were um, pretty convinced that it was a you know really big fish. Um, and suffice to say, got it on the deck, and it, it measured two meters and nine centimeters. And Stewie, who I think has caught, he's caught more than a hundred barrel jumbo bluefin. So you know he knows them pretty well. And he said, "Oh, that's that's going to be one thirty plus." Uh, and as it turned out, it went one forty two. So that's a pretty good southern bluefin tuna, and I'm happy with that danger. And I put the cue in the rack. 
Good ruck for Tasmania at 209, I reckon. Um, <laughs> now, over the, the course of the years, you've had many wonderful boats. I've loved following the Beast projects, the refurbishment of beautiful Burt trams at 23 and then the 25. And you've yep. always had the stable along the lines of, of Bar Crusher and you've had some brilliant boats, hard tops, which make perfect sense fishing in the world's coldest climate being Tasmania. Yep. And now your <laughs> latest boat, which Aaron and I would actually, we probably spoke about it for an hour. We couldn't quite wrap our heads around it. I'm not that happy about it. It is unbelievable. We're not doubting that. But you're fishing out of a 730 XT bar crusher, one of the great plate aluminium boats there are. But yep. it is a center console and you do live in yep. Tasmania, which is the next stop is actually Antarctica. <laughs> well, in fairness to it, and they are very – we've got a great mate down here. I don't know whether you've ever fished with Michael Haley, who's a, a, a funny fellow and uh, a long-time charter operator as well, who has a 730 XT bar crusher. Um, and, look, <laughs> he does go – he has caught swordfish and stuff out of it. And, and – um, I don't question what you, know, you can catch out of it. You can catch anything out of it. You, yes, you can take the thing yes. that's Yes. It's just a centre yes. console, though. That's yes. the frostbite, Patrick. You catch frostbite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look, and there you can get very, very good clears for them these days. But um, um, it should be said that our 730 XT is not in Tassie at the moment. It's in fact in Brisbane, and we'll be heading north to Cairns and subsequently Darwin and the Northern Territory. Which, uh, in those environments, Patrick, you cannot do any better than that. You can't. It will chew those waters up. Can you give us a quick summation of how you found Hellmaster? Because this is no yeah. doubt going to take over the industry and make it boating far, far easier than what it's been, particularly for those that don't get to fish all that often. They've got big boats, but when they come in to dock and yep. manoeuvring them can be a real, <laughs> I'd say hazard, but as much as anything, it's a mental stress that it puts on you. And this is remarkable for people who don't know. So Hellmaster is it's a Yamaha proprietary product um, and it's essentially electric steering on the outboard. So you don't have any, you know, helm pump or hydraulic steering. Um, it's, it's all fly by wire. Um, and so we'd, we'd use it in a, in a, you know, in a twin setup on a, big naiad and as you'd expect in that application you know it works extremely well you can literally drive the boat sideways you know it is remarkable and then Yamaha came out and said well we can we can uh we're going to start fitting this as a single installation um and you know anyone who's driven a big single engine boat will know that they can be a a bit of a handful in you know in close quarters and maneuvering and whatever else and so I was really interested to see how this would work in practice. And the, the reality is, it's you know, to say it's remarkable is, is really not to overstate it. So yeah. our boat is, is a single engine. It's a 250. Um, it's got a joystick control. So you, you get all the stuff. You get, you know, you get autopilots and whatever else, and that's good. Um, but, you know, it, it will allow you to... In, in a similar way to an electric, it will allow you to position the boat, to hold the boat at whatever angle you like, um, bow into the wind, stern into the wind, side to the wind. And I, I guess it does it by steering so much more quickly than you can steer manually. You can. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, th- that is, I think, the genius of it. The electric steering is so quick. Um, and I don't know whether you've had much to do with those, with the Yammy in and out of gear, you know, with the shock absorbing props and stuff. So it comes in and out of gear quickly, it steers quickly. Um, and it is just an extraordinary bit of kit, you know, in a single engine installation, um, quite remarkable. So for people who are, you know, who like this sort of stuff, it's a reasonable whack, you know, don't get me wrong, it costs a few bucks to have your boat fitted with Helmut Master, but it can be retrofitted to, I think, any of the fly-by-wire big horsepower Yamahas. Um, and man, it is, you know, like you, you call stuff game changer this is game changing technology it's remarkable nick before we let you go because we could ramble on fishing all day as we usually do with the producer brooksy looking at us probably shaking his head because he's got a bit of work to do but that's all right Brooksy. <laughs> Nico, you've obviously just filmed the first episode for hook line and sinker this week 140 plus barrel bluefin tune-up pretty much as yep. good as it gets yep. a little bit tougher with covid where you can be where you can't be and whatnot but what can we expect uh, as much as you can give us, what can we expect we're going to see from hook, line and sinker over over this season of season uh, uh, 22? Yeah, thanks, mate. So, um, yeah, year 21. Um, basically, oh. we picked up the boat in um, the, the new bar crusher in uh, Melbourne and that will continue doing a, uh, a big sort of road trip up the east coast of Australia. Um, as I said, it's currently in Brisbane, so hearty. Um, has been doing that trip, you know, hair tails on the Hawkesbury and all that sort of stuff is going on. And he, he's, his hopes and dreams are to get it out to the Ribbon Reefs uh, for Marlin season in the XT. So that'll be interesting. Um, I will be somewhat truncated in what I can do um, in terms of big, big over, or, you know, interstate trips just in, because of my new job. Um, Minister of Australia but- for those playing at home. That's exactly right. The new uh, producer in Australia. Yep. The member. Um, <laughs> the delivering member. results. <laughs> I can't wait um, to see how Hardy refers to you this next season on air. It's going to be that's going to be the price of admission in itself. <laughs> uh, um, but obviously, we, we will continue our um, you know our project boat sort of um, program that we run. So that's a big part of what we do. So I think this year we've got the. Um, Dinghy Wars Australia Danger. I know you're a big man on the uh, on the small boat scene. I don't, I don't even know that, but you know a lot of people are the kids. We get them out, so um, we've we've got I, a dinghy wars. I genuinely start when it comes to refurbishing of a boat. I'm more like it's been a bit dusty. It's cleaned, and now it looks fantastic. You've yep. gone the other end. You've yep. actually found the were the the world's first pressed aluminium boat somehow. Um, yeah. And you're refurbishing that. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Uh, you know, so that'll be interesting. We'll see how we go with those. Um, basically, some little boats. So, you know, um, hopefully some clever storage ideas for people who are running around in small boats. A lot of kids start that way. Um, and we're also looking into a new big boat, a big old, you know, door opera. Um, it's getting the market's tight. I mean, I don't know whether you've been in the secondhand market, you folks, but expensive, man, bloody. It's um, it's gone mad. All that, so um, you know, finding a cheap project boats are never a good investment in the first place. Uh, <laughs> and now they're looking very marginal indeed. So um, anyway, no, we've got plenty of boats floating around. So uh, always entertaining that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I think it'll be you know. 
fingers crossed for another good season of the show. Well, we're looking forward to it. It is always entertaining. Nick Dogan, our special guest on Real Adventures this morning for gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Thank you, Nick. We can't wait for it. Thanks, guys. Always good to catch up. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's been a big show so far. Don't forget, you can catch each and every episode on our podcast page. Now it's time for Red's tip, which I'm taking over, Redman, after some serious issues this week. The tip well, this week is really know, quite I'm simple. I'm going to throw something in there because it's not our podcast page, Patrick. It's our Real Adventures app. Don't go confusing people. Download the Real Adventures app. It's on any smartphone. Come on, mate. Script's in front of you. The tip for this week. <laughs> any parent... At some stage in your journey, you are going to experience a time when your child wants to come and sleep in your bed, whether it's 2 a.m., 5 a.m., or 7 p.m., and you're just putting him to sleep. Whatever you do, do not fall into the trap at any stage of your life, regardless of how hard it is, how tired you are, of letting your child sleep in your bed. Because at the moment, I'm going through this every single night, Aaron, I have to sleep with George until he goes to sleep. Then he wakes up at 11 o'clock. He comes into the bed. Then I take him back down to his bed. Then he comes back up at 2 o'clock. And then at 2 o'clock, I feel like a zombie, so I let him stay in the bed. And the problem is when he sleeps in the bed with Marty and I, he sleeps laterally. And most of us, we we sleep up and down. You know, it's pillows at one side, no worries. He puts his head up against his mother's head and his feet – go in my jaw. So the tip is do not let your children sleep in your bed, work through it, push through the pain barrier, and if 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 it works, you turn into those parents that use the, what is it, cryotherapy? Just close the door and just let them get used to it because otherwise you'll end up like me, an imbecile that lets their child sleep with them and you never actually sleep yourself. We're Pretty going simple. I'm going through it at the moment. Finn got gastro a little while ago and we kept him in our bed for a couple of nights. And ever since then, we can't get him to stay in his bed. But Finn will not go under dunas either. So he has to be up the top. So you're literally kicking you in the head. It's just it's, – Have it's, you it's, seen that episode of Bluey, the Sleepy Time episode? For anyone <laughs> home, watch the episode of Bluey called Sleepy Time and you will laugh your head – will laugh and cry at the same time because it's so relevant to parents. So that is the tip our, for this week. Redmond, the gaff. Our producer, Joel Brooks, is sitting on the screen here, just nodding in head going, <laughs> yep, you're spot on. <laughs> the gaff this week, Redmond, now our man, Conor McGregor, snapped his leg a few weeks back, unfortunately couldn't finish off the fight. But he's he's won this battle because he's got a Lamborghini 63-foot super yacht that he's just taken order of, and the gaff's heading his way. It is because Conor, uh, not that I actually want that boat. I'd like the money to purchase that boat because then I could get a few of my own boats, Patrick. But <laughs> it's a it's a, it's an alien looking thing. But I think, Connor, mate, it's time to uh, leave the fishing and the boating to myself and Patrick because <laughs> last time last time I seen is you can't stand on two legs. So uh, <laughs> I won't trust, trust me, I won't be saying that if he's anywhere within the same country or possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Connor hurt his leg, and uh, mate, stick to fighting, and I'll stick to fishing. And if you do want to loan me your boat at any time, I'll take it. Thanks for your company this morning. This has been Real Adventures.
Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.